following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow. And- CWN is Sean Oliver. My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Now get on the train. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show here, the WCWA Network podcast here on YouTube and all podcasting platforms. I am your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury, and it is Australia Day today. It has been a long day. I had friends over. I had several beers. Then I stopped having beers because something important was taking place later on in the evening. And it is the interview that I'm conducting right here, right now. Now, this guy right here, he was in the original Eastern Championship Wrestling. He's been known as the names of Easy Rider. He's been known as Hell Rider. And he has been a member of the famous Dudley family known as Chubby Dudley, although not looking so chubby anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Bay Ragney. How you going, mate? Hey, man. Yeah, I'm drinking coffee and you're drinking beers. What's wrong with this picture? You know what? I'm actually on the red wine now. So, Oh, my man. My man. <laughs> uh, as soon as the temperature changes, I got to, it, it's a bit cool now. So <laughs> it's on with the red to warm myself up. How are you going? Very uh, nice. You know, how are things in your, in your part of the world? Uh, you know what? Uh, considering all the craziness that has been going on uh, here in our country with politics and that stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the past almost year now of a pandemic, uh, pretty damn good. Yeah, that's good to hear. Um, where I live, Perth, Western Australia, we're pretty lucky. We don't have any restrictions at all. Uh, we don't have oh, to wear awesome. any face masks. We don't have any. I don't think we've had a, a community transmission case in our city for about nine months. So wow. we, we're for finally for the first time being in the most isolated city in the world uh, was a benefit to us. So <laughs> um, I, I just read last night here in Nashville, there's 95,000 cases. Oh man, that's just, it's heartbreaking. And it, it totally ruined 2020. I, I really thought 2020 was going to be an amazing year. Uh, it was off to a great start for me, but uh, this damn COVID thing. Uh, hopefully things will be getting better in 2021 and things are getting better because I'm talking to you right here, right now today, Bay, and very excited to talk to you about your time in pro wrestling. Also, dabbling in, in some other things that you've done in your life. Um, but the first question I always ask everyone on the show is, is how you became a wrestling fan when you were a young man? Uh, so uh, the funny story was um, I was about 10 years old and um, I used to get spend uh, like some weekends at my aunt and uncle's in South Philadelphia, home of ECW arena. Um, and I had never seen wrestling. And my uncle Ralph was a huge, huge, huge wrestling fan. He used to watch WWF and they used to have cable TV. So he used to watch, um, you know, NWA and the stuff on the Turner network, uh, you know, old TBS shows on Saturday night. So I remember one night, one Saturday after dinner, I heard him in there on the TV and I was in the kitchen with my cousin, like, you know, playing Star Wars figures or something. And I went out to see what he was hollering at and I saw the moon dogs. (laughs) <laughs> and I was just, I, I was just like glued to the TV. I couldn't turn away. And I was like, what is this? And he was telling me it's professional wrestling. And I'm seeing these three guys 
eating bones and barking like dogs. And I was like, this is the greatest thing I ever saw in my life. <laughs> and I got hooked. And, and from that point on, I started watching pro wrestling. And then the funny thing was, years later, like uh, 13, 14, it, it might even have been around 95 when I was in ECW, I would bring uh, tapes of my matches to, to my uncle to sit and watch. And he used to say to me, Bay, you, you can't tell me this is fake. This is real. This is absolutely real. <laughs> he just, he, he didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good that he stayed a believer. Um, uh, absolutely. I, I always love people's stories about how they became a fan of wrestling because, uh, you know, it, 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 it levels everything out. We were all there at one stage, that exact same. Yeah. And we all had a moment. And I remember my moment was I was at my uh, great grandmother's house and I don't know why, but I, I believe it was WCW was on TV and it just was on this TV for you know, a minute. And uh, I saw Ron Simmons give a double clothesline to two guys. And oh, I was right. like, Whoa, did you see him? <laughs> two guys. He just knocked down two guys. Like I was astounded. And my dad was right next to me and he wanted to make sure that there was no way I was going to believe this was real. And he, he had to tell me right straight up, Santa's not real <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> it's just, this is, it's, it's all, it's all a show. It's all a show. I don't know why he didn't just let me just believe it for a little bit longer, but yeah. Right. I was astounded. Yeah. Like if, if they're that, like when I started getting the wrestling, like, I, I believed too. Like I, you couldn't tell me wrestling was fake. And I started like uh, my mom would buy me wrestling magazines and I would go to school and all my friends would make fun of me. Like that is fake and it's fake. And I'm like, how, I, like I couldn't grasp like how it could be fake. Like I didn't get it. Like to me, it was absolutely real. Yeah. And um, you know what the funny thing is for me after that moment, I didn't see wrestling again until 1998 when it was suddenly on TV again. And again, wow. I had that mind blowing <laughs> moment. Uh, but you know, it, it wasn't easily accessible in Australia at the time, unfortunately, but, um, enough about me. Uh, <laughs> I just like telling that uh, every now and then, cause, um, you know, it's just very fond memories. Um, and, and I'll tell you this about thinking it was real. I used to think that, okay, I know that this isn't real, but when Scott Steiner does it, he's, he's the only one that's allowed to do it for real. I don't know why I just thought Scott Steiner was, was real. Uh, <laughs> um, so how old are you when you st you're starting to grow up now? What point do you think to yourself, man, I want to get into the business. I want to, I want to find a way of getting into this thing. Um, so the mid eighties, I was, uh, I got 15. Um, my, my first love always has been music. You know, I wanted to be the guys in your shirt. Like, you know, I, I was trying to be a guitar player in a band. Uh, you know, that was the explosion of like the hair band era. And um, <laughs> I was all into the, you know, that scene, the Motley Cruz, the Poisons, Cinderella. Um, and uh, I, I was trying to do that. But my backup plan in life was to become a professional wrestler. Right. And, you know, Saturdays, I would sit there and watch Saturday morning wrestling WWF or, uh, yeah, WWF at that point. And then um, at noontime, I'd watch NWA. So I was, you know, I saw the difference between NWA and WWF. With, that was the time of the, the peak of the horsemen and, and, and all that stuff. And the feuds with Dusty Rhodes and the Road Warriors. And I just saw the difference. And I used to get, I used to get a charge out of every show each week, especially with Jim Crockett. 
at the end of the show, they would always give you that cliffhanger. It was mm-hmm. like, we're at, we're almost at time. We're almost at time. We gotta <laughs> yeah. go. We'll be back next week. And I'd be on my bed, like, oh my God. Oh my God. And like, <laughs> yeah. and I would get these chills. Like I would get like the, the little Italian kid from South Philly watching Rocky and, and nothing gave me that, that feeling like her wrestling did watching that Jim Crockett NWA stuff. So I always said to myself, well, if I don't make it in music, my backup plan is I'm going to become a professional wrestler because I was always a chunky kid. I was always a heavy kid and I never could get thin enough to look like, uh, you know, Brett Michaels and the guys from Poison. Yeah. So that's, well, that, and that's literally what happened. It, it was like the, the late, it was like 89, 90. And I was in a band and the band broke up for whatever reasons. And I was like, well, it's 1990 and I'm 220 pounds and you don't usually see, you know, fat guys in spandex. And actually I had a bunch of fat <laughs> friends that were musicians and we were going to try to do a goof calling it the fat bastards in spandex. <laughs> and it just, it just never happened. So I sold all my musical equipment and got my down payment for wrestling school. Wow. It's amazing. It's so, so interesting to see like uh, the similarities between yourself and myself. I first and foremost, I wanted to be a wrestler. And when I knew that was going to happen, it was just straight into music. So it was the reverse, but I totally get where you're coming from there. Uh, those two dreams that I had um, were the same as yours. So, and, and for me, you know, I was born in 1987. So that's the appetite for destruction, hysteria, uh, girls, girls, girls came out some amazing albums. And I didn't get into that until <laughs> hair metal was long gone. But uh, Dude, I, I saw like, I, I saw Gun the Roses, they came to the film, they played a club, you know, for like under a thousand people. It was amazing. Like, yeah. Unbelievable, man. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I'm so jealous. Um, so uh, you put your down payment, uh, I believe from my research, you trained with a man by the name of Larry Winters. Is that correct? Weird story. I'm so glad you mentioned that name and brought that name up. Um, literally, like I rolled over this morning and saw my, uh, message from you and I'm like oh crap like I, I'm you had me on Philadelphia time East Coast time I'm in Nashville now I'm, oh, I'm an hour behind so I'm like oh crap and for some reason um Larry Winters popped in my head and I was thinking of Larry Winters and I was scrolling through Facebook it gives you your Facebook memories every day and the memory that popped up was two years ago today or eight years ago today I had a picture of me and Larry Winters. Uh, I did a, a reunion thing and he came out and we were hanging out. It, it was weird. Just, and it was just, it freaked me out. I was thinking of Larry and saw that. And yeah, but uh, Larry, cool. Larry, Larry was, uh, you know, he, he passed away. I'm not sure how long ago. It might've been eight years now. Um, amazing, amazing guy, fun guy. Um, I was truly, truly blessed to have him as my initial teacher. And he also too, um, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did in Philadelphia wrestling, but he truly is like probably one of the original, I'll say original five people responsible for hardcore wrestling that was the precursor to what became ECW. It was Larry Winters, Mad Dog DC Drake, who him him and uh, Larry Winters were a tremendous feud for a couple of years in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Johnny Hotbody, Tony Stetson, and the promoter, Joel Goodhart. Those five guys are the five people 
that any wrestling fan that was a fan of ECW should thank those five guys because they're the ones that created what became ECW. Right. That's really interesting. See, I'm, I'm always learning and I've had some people I've interviewed call me a historian at my age uh, over how much I know, but there's still so much to learn. So that's really interesting for me. And I'm definitely going to try and seek out some of those guys and learn a little bit. If, about them. if there's, you know, um, a good friend of mine from, from those days, from the TWA days, the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance and early ECW, who's one of my best friends to this day and was also the person responsible for finishing my wrestling training, Jimmy Gennetti. Um, he, he probably has the videos of those matches um, because his dad used to do, uh, run a video company and they used to tape a lot of the tri-state wrestling stuff and we used to sit and watch them. And I'm pretty sure like he might have them, but they might even be online on YouTube or whatever. But I mean, they were doing stuff. They were doing hardcore stuff like th throwing each other off, uh, you know, like you would see New Jack do seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years later, jumping off balconies. Those guys were doing it 10 years before. and Shit. didn't get, You know, the credit that was deserved like there was one match um larry winters had had legit broken ankle and they cut his cast off in the match and used it as a weapon <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible yeah uh, and it's, it, it is a shame that you know that there's these people out there that have done these things and have started these things but they don't get the credit that they deserve when people talk about you know the 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 birth and the evolution yeah. of hardcore wrestling you yeah, you hear about you know Onita in Japan and and uh, yeah. a lot of you know the Terry Funk kind of stuff and obviously ECW, um, but you know that's a shame that those guys don't get uh, you know the props that they deserve. Um, I, I think uh, well they were truly before their time, but there, at that point there was no internet, mm. you know. So if if there was an internet, like even with ECW, um, the internet was just literally starting. Like I, I remember. Um, back in 95 and when I was with ECW, um, they would start doing these like prodigy meetups and stuff like that. And I just remember like, what the hell is prodigy? Or, or like, they would talk about these group, these wrestling group chats and group meetings. They would uh, have, what, what are you talking about? What is this? <laughs> and, and you know, to buy a computer then was like $2,000, $2,500. It was like, I can't afford that. What the hell? You know, I'm, I'm a pizza delivery guy. You know, that's, that's my day gig. Like I'm not buying a computer. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so, uh, tell me a little bit about your training, you know, when, at what point were you smartened up about how things really worked and you know, how difficult was your training and, and, and all that process? So, um, when I went from, you know, you have to go for a tryout. So I went for my tryout in summer of 1990 to the wrestling school. And this is the wrestling school that um, at the time, uh, Sandman was, had just graduated from. And uh, Jimmy Gennetti and Glenn Osborne, who was another big name in early CW. Um, the promoter, Joel Goodhart, said, you know, here's what you'll be able to do in a few months. And he had Gennetti and Osborne work a match. And I literally... Like I sat five feet from the ring and watched this match. And I remember saying to myself, still, holy shit, this is real. This is real. This is legit. And I, I was like, wow, okay, this is going to be fun. This is going to be interesting. And, um, you know, even when I was like going in to start wrestling school, you know, in September of 90, 
I, I really was, I wasn't smart enough yet. You know, it wasn't until that first night of, of wrestling school when you're taught to lock up and, you know, you're taught like, hey, you lock up and it's all about how you're doing it to sell it and work it to make that person put that person over, which in turn is going to put you over. It's like, ah, okay. It's like they don't sit you down and say, you know, this is the work. You know, you, you, you learn it quick, but you have to learn how to work. Is the thing. Right. That's interesting stuff. Um, so tell me a little bit about the, uh, you get to a point where you've done enough training and you end up getting booked for your first match. I'd like to, like to hear about your story. So, about first match. so the funny thing was, so in, in professional wrestling, um, the number one thing you need to learn is you got to be able to, to do a front flip. You got to be able to literally just stand or, or take a step and jump front flip land on your back for that back ball. Right. And I couldn't do it. I could not do it. And they used to literally have just two, three hour classes of, dude, that's the best. Look at you. (laughs) (laughs) They would have two, three hour classes of just um, trying to get me to flip and I couldn't do it. So a lot of guys would come in, do their training, and within four to six months are getting their first match. I'm there a year and I could work a match. I just couldn't do that foot by myself. If I'm with somebody, do a hip toss, boom, I can go. Suplex, boom, I can go. As long as somebody's there to guide me, I can go. By myself, I could not do it. So the the promoter, Joe Goodhart, he's like, I'm not going to give you a match until you can flip. And... Uh, a year into it, like I still couldn't flip. And I'm watching people come in and start oh, working man. and start working. And then I broke my ankle in the ring in training. So then I was out for six months and then I came back and was training again. And I still couldn't flip. And, and I was ready to quit. I literally was. It was now, you know, going, closing in on two years of doing this. And I was ready to quit. And I called Goodhart up and I said, look, Joel, like, this is not for me, obviously. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, even like um, Steve Richards came in. He, he, I went to, you know, we went to wrestling school together. Richards came in, boom, three months later, he, he's working matches. Mm. And I'm like, this, this just is not for me. Like, obviously, like, I'm watching all these people who I felt was better. I was better then because now it's, I'm too, too much two years into the business and then I'm training, but I just can't do it by myself. He's like, look, he was like, Friday, come down to the school. I got a surprise for you. He's like, we're, we're going to figure this out. I'm like, all right. So I, I go down there and I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and he comes walking in with Paul Orndorff. <laughs> and I'm like, no, oh no. shit. <clears throat> so he explains to Paul what's going on. And I'm in the ring with Orndorff and we're doing some holds and reversals and stuff like that. And, um, He's like, all right, brother, hip toss. And he goes to hip toss me, and I go over, and I'm on the mat. I'm looking up at him. He goes like, you know what your problem is? You're too fucking fat. Lose some weight. And he walked out of the ring. I was like, uh. (laughs) Meanwhile, as that was going on, Nature Boy Buddy Landell came in. Gosh. So Buddy gets in the ring. He's like, hey, brother. He's like, don't fucking listen to him. Don't listen to him. He's like, come on. And me and Buddy, like, Buddy took time and worked a match with me. 
and you know he's suplexing me, pulsing me, everything. And he's like, dude, he's like, you can do it. He's like, he, he talked to Joel, and he told he's the one to talk Joel and give me my, my debut. So we set my debut for a couple months later, and um, three weeks before my debut, Tri-State Wrestling Alliance <laughs> closed up shop. Oh shit, dude. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, what the hell do we do now? And um, there was, uh, he, so what happened was he had a uh, um, Saturday morning wrestling radio show. He didn't tell his business partners, didn't tell the workers, didn't tell nobody. He made the announcement on that wrestling show on that Saturday morning and went into hiding for over 10 years. Nobody sure. heard from him ever again. Really? And um, yeah, <clears throat> one of the backers, um, was Todd Wood. So, and one of the other backers was, uh, who became famous, uh, the ring announcer for ECW, Bob Ortiz. Awesome, yeah. So, so they called a meeting of all the boys that night um, at, a, at Bob, Bob Ortiz also runs a ice skating rink. And we all met up at the ice skating rink and they told us, look, you know, Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, is dead. It's no more. We're starting a new federation. No more Joel Goodhart. We're taking over. Um, Larry Winters, who was the booker for Tri-State, Larry was going to continue on doing the booking. Todd Gordon stepping up. He's the new big cheese. He's the new commissioner. He's the new also partner in booking. And uh, we're going to move forward as ECW Eastern Championship Wrestling. So I'm like, great. You know, the day has been saved and this and that. So um, they continue running shows, you know, at, at some of the old Tri-State Wrestling Line spots. And um, at that point, I didn't know Todd. I didn't, I didn't know Bob. I didn't know Todd. I didn't know Larry. So I had to do a tryout match to show Todd I could, you know, work a match. So my tryout match, we were, I was in a, the tag team, Hell Riders. So it was me and my partner, HD Ryder, against Steve Richards and the Delaware Dynamo in um, Todd. I don't know if he still does it, but he was a, um, he was like the president or something of a local charity. Um, and I forget, the, I, I forget what the name of the charity was, but it was like for, um, for like children. It was like kind of almost like a cerebral palsy type charity. And okay. they had a camp. And they would do this yearly show, free show for the kids at the camp. And that's where my tryout was. It was at this uh, the camp for the kids. Right. So we, we did the match. And uh, yeah, after that, I started getting booked on ECW shows. Right. So the rest of the tryout went well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you couldn't ask for a better opponent than Stevie Richards. So that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, during that, that downtime when um, uh, things were happening with the transition and all, um, me, me and Richards, uh, from the time from school, we became very good friends. And we used to train two times a day. He used to work at a car dealership down the, down the road from the wrestling school. And me and Jeanette and a couple other local guys, we would get together. We would pick Richards up for his lunch break. And we'd run down to the wrestling school and train for an hour, work in matches. And, uh, you know, and we used to videotape all that stuff. I used to have those videos for years. And, um, then we drive him back and drop him back off, and then we come back that night and train again. Wow, hard work pays off, man. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I but Richards is one, you know, from the time he walked into that wrestling school, he, he was somebody who had it. And I knew, like, this dude's going to go. He's going to go far. And he was the one who was responsible for bringing me back in ECW as a Dudley. He was the one. Oh, right. That's awesome, man. Um, uh, good on you, Steve. He's a good dude. Uh, yeah. I want to know whether whether names uh, Easy Rider and HD Rider, the, the Hell Riders, where did that idea come from? Um, so when they were, when they were trying to come up with my gimmick and, um, my partner was in wrestling school at the time, HD rider as well. And they already had him figured cause he is a legit biker tattoos, drives a Harley. And they already knew they were going to make him a biker. <clears throat> they didn't know what they were going to do with me. I wanted to be one of my biggest uh, influences of the eighties was gorgeous. Jimmy Garvin. So I kept trying to push it. I'm like, I want to be beautiful Bay. I want to come out like Jimmy Garvin and, you know, doing the strut and, and, and all this stuff. And they were like, no, <laughs> not happening. It's not happening. I'm like, and I used to beg them. I'm like, I want to come out to Billy Squire. Everybody wants you. It's going to be awesome. They're like, no, not happening. And um, everybody used to always think I was a biker because of the ice with the long hair and the tattoos. So then they were like, why don't we team you up with him? And it'll help cover up the fact that you can't flip. <laughs> it'll help help in that part. And we'll, we'll do that. And the guy that came up with the, the name was, um, uh, going back to Larry Winters, at that point he had the broken leg, so he couldn't be our trainer. So our trainers at the time was Johnny Hotbody and Tony Stetson. And they were the guys that came up with the name the Hell Riders. And then it was like, all right, so you're going to be like the Riders. He's HD Harley Davidson rider. And they said, you're going to be easy, like easy rider from the, you know, the magazine, the movie. You're going to be easy. He's HD. Nice. Interesting. I see every, every name has a story behind it. Um, yeah. So uh, Eastern championship wrestling, you're doing shows. Um, when do you first find out that now there's going to be a, a TV uh, show taking place. Uh, they're going to start filming ECW Hardcore TV. When do you first learn about this? And, you know, obviously you must be excited to see yourself what wrestling on television. So, so yeah. So, um, you know, we first of all, Eastern Championship Wrestling, those early stuff, it was, they were trying to go in a, in a little different direction than the hardcore. Um, it wasn't, I, I, and I've said this many times, I was not a true fan of the early Eastern Championship Wrestling. I didn't think the product was as good as Tri-State Wrestling Alliance. I didn't think the booking was as good. Um, I just, I, I just, I technically, I just wasn't a fan. I was, like, I used to watch the, the, the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance shows and get that that feeling, get that up my spine, it's the chills. Watching them Eastern, uh, Eastern Championship Wrestling shows, I, I didn't get that pop at all. Um, but yeah, it was, it was what it was. And we started doing um, these TV tapings for, um, we were trying to get the, the contract for Sports Channel in Philadelphia. So we started doing these um, TV tapings and I think we did two, maybe three different ones. And they were like test tapings and we, we got the contract. So then they set up the, the first initial taping but in the meantime, um, I was doing work behind the scenes, me and another friend of mine who was uh, doing work for ECW, uh, Frank Cody, who's a very good friend of mine in real life. Um, 
we were doing a lot of work for Todd behind the scenes with promotions. Like whenever shows would get booked, we were the one that would go into the, the town or whatever, and we would do all the, the you know, paper and the flyers and posters <clears throat> in the local businesses and stuff like that and help promote the shows in the, in the local town. So um, we would go down to Todd's office at his jewelry store and, you know, pick up the stuff we needed. And, you know, I guess it was a month or two before the very first official TV taping. Um, we went to go down and pick up the stuff and we're sitting in his office and he, he said to us, he was like, well, <clears throat> I just made it official. I just pulled the trigger. We have a new booker. And I'm like, okay. And that's when he told us he just hired Eddie Gilbert as the booker. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, this is going to be great. Phenomenal. Yes. But I was a huge Eddie Gilbert mark. Um, but it, 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 it also became, in my opinion, the death of Eastern Championship Wrestling and the true Philly connection of Eastern Championship Wrestling. Because myself and um, most of the, the original Philly guys were all pushed out. And really? Then, you know, yeah, and Eddie brought like his crew in, which happens in any federation or any business. You know, people bring in their guys, and right. that's what happened. I uh, see. Um, I, I, I've seen this episode. I've seen the first episode of ECW Hardcore TV. Um, you two take on the Super Destroyers. Yeah, we're the very first match in ECW TV history. It's crazy. Exactly. That's huge, man. Yeah. That's such an accomplishment. Somebody, back, you know? yeah, somebody just sent that to me on Facebook. They were watching it on the WWE Network the other day, and they sent me the screenshot, and I just like look at it and shake my head. I'm like, wow. And the scarier part is that was almost 30 years ago. Yeah. And anyone who's a fan of ECW might be like, oh, let's check out what the first ever TV show was Don't like. Do so. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have uh, seen it and I didn't think it was too bad but uh you know maybe I'm easy to please I don't know. Um you, but you can see the growth and, and where they the true early beginnings like I mean watching them shows you can see why like I didn't get no pop from any of that stuff and it was just like yeah but from what it became like before I went back as a Dudley like I was watching that sh- that show and I was I was pumping every week. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But those early Eastern Championship wrestling shows, I never got a pop. Right. Um, I was interested in asking you about what it was like to work with uh, Don Morocco and Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Scary as hell. <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> because we, we we were we were so green to the business, you know. We were so so green. We were only a, a year into like our debut and all. And um, we were uh, we were backstage. That was the second set of TV tapings, and they had the, the lineup posted on the, the locker room wall. And me and my partner look at each other. We're like, "Oh shit, we're, we're working in Morocco and Snooker." So <laughs> we go over to them, and, and they were always don't get me wrong, they were always super nice in the locker room, very friendly. You know, they would talk to everybody, but um, <laughs> we would go over and. It's, hey, Hey guys, what are we doing out there? We're like, don't worry about it, brother. Don't worry. It's all good. You know, don't worry. We got plenty of time. This is like three hours before the show. Two hours before the show, we go back over. Don't worry. Don't don't worry, brother. We got you, brother. Don't worry. <laughs> Hour before the show, same thing. 
We're at the curtain getting ready to go out. We still have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> we're just like, what the hell's going on? And the referee just says to us, just jump them before the bell. They'll take care of the rest. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> so we're like, all right. So we jump them, and uh, I get paired up with Snooker, and Snooker grabs me by the head. He's like, you dumb motherfucker. I'm like, eh, I'm dead. I'm dead. I thought you were going to kill me. <laughs> oh, that's great stuff um so uh do, what would you say are your fondest memories of working for todd gordon <laughs> it, it was funny watching todd grow from what was known in the business as a money mark um he went from being a money mark to a mark to a true personality and part of the show and yeah. somebody who, who truly worked his way to deserving to be there. Like, like he, he truly did. He, he, he was very, very hardworking at what he did and very hardworking to get ECW to the, the place it got to. And he, he um, he, he truly gave his blood, sweat, and tears for that company. He, he really did. Very important piece of the puzzle that made extreme championship wrestling what it was. I agree 100%. I, I'm hoping... it, it was also weird for me to, because I knowing Todd from three years earlier, in, in, you know, and, and it turned out, I found out my sister went to high school with Todd. And she would tell me, and like, she would come to the shows and she was like, oh my God, Todd was the biggest nerd and geek in school. She's like, I can't believe. So, uh, and he was like, he, he came off as kind of like a nerdy geeky guy. And then he became like this, like this dude in ECW. And, and he was one, of, he was truly one of the boys and everybody loved Todd and got along great with Todd and had a lot of, had a lot of fun with Todd. <laughs> That's great, man. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that this year um, will be the year that I finally get the chance to interview him. Um, he told me to wait till this year, so fingers crossed. Oh, cool. Yeah, they'll cool. be really, they'll be really fun. Um, I haven't, I haven't talked to him in years. I got a chance. I used to do a, a AM radio show in Philadelphia. Oh Christ, 20 years ago, and I got to interview him on the show. It was, it was after the death of ECW, and I got to interview him on the show. And right. I, I have, I have it on audio cassette somewhere. I don't know where, but. Awesome. Well, you have to dig it up for me and try and get yeah. it up so I can give it a listen. Um, <laughs> uh, here's a name that doesn't get brought up enough, uh, but I wanted to know a little bit more about this man as you work with him. Do you have any stories of one Don E. Allen? I love, I love it. I, I said earlier, I, I did a, <clears throat> a wrestling podcast the other night I taped, and they went through it was either 25 or 35 names. And it was, it was just like that. They were like pulling names out of my past. And Donnie was one of them. Um, Donnie, I, I initially, he was um, the manager of the Mad Dog DC Drake. He was devious Donnie Allen. And uh, he would come to the wrestling school when I was training. And I was like, oh, my God, he's like this little tiny guy. It was, I mean, he was like five foot nothing. <laughs> um, but the sweetest guy the nicest guy um uh, also a musician amazing musician he had put some albums out um 
and that was his first true love was rest, uh, was music. Right. And he probably could have did more in the wrestling business, but his commitments to playing, he used to play literally almost every weekend. So it got to the point where he like had to make that choice. Right. Um, but Donnie, he's another guy who um, was very vital in Tri-State Wrestling Alliance, Eastern Championship Wrestling, and Extreme Championship Wrestling. He, he became a true personality and, uh, you know, like an icon in, of those, uh, you know, Extreme Championship Wrestling days. Number yeah. four, Mr. 499. <laughs> That's cool. Thanks for sharing. Um, so you've kind of dabbled into why you ended up leaving uh, ECW in late 1993, um, Eddie brought his own guys in, which yeah. meant the yeah. old guys were gone. Did you ever have a conversation with him or Todd about that? You know, like, was there any sort of, you know, Todd, this isn't fair. I need to give me a chance. Was there anything like that? Oh, that's a good question. I, I did not have a conversation with Eddie. No, I, that I know for a fact. I don't, I don't know if I ever brought it up to Todd. Even in the, I don't know if I, if I did bring up the Todd when I interviewed him, I might've, I think I might've, when I interviewed him, I, I might've said, you know, I, cause I was very, um, you know, at, at the time I was a 23 year old kid and I was, um, I was, I became very angry and bitter because, you know, I did a lot you know, I was doing a lot of work behind the scenes, promotions-wise, and was truly, you know, part of that company. I, I was also, like, helping, you know, I, I was selling a lot of tickets to shows on top of it. And, um, yeah, I, I felt like I had, like, really busted my ass for that, for Todd and that company. And I, I was very slighted when, when we got pushed out. And they, you know, they, they squashed us out on, on those. Like, we were getting a push. We were feuding a true feud with the super destroyers and then when tv happened they totally squashed us out and i, I was pissed and that's how i ended up um becoming a wrestling promoter right i i, I called a I called a meeting of all the, the philly guys you know it was like one sunday you know i had everybody come to my house and we sat down because you know one by one we were all getting phased out and we, you know we sat down and we talked and uh you know i said look like our, our, let's start our own promotion. Let's let's do our own thing and let's go back to our roots with Joel Goodhart and the Tri-State Wrestling Lines. Let's pick it back up where Tri-State left off and let's continue on. And every one of them, you know, there was probably 10 guys, 15 guys in my house that day. Every one of them was in complete agreement. Every one of them wanted to do it, but the none of them would um, contribute any money to, to help me pull the shows off, except for um, my two initial partners and in what became Liberty All-Star Wrestling was um, Frank Cody and a guy who was a good friend of Frank's, but he wasn't even in the wrestling business. And he, be, we, he became a manager and he was an amazing manager, Lucky Larry Reed, who actually just passed away a couple months ago, sadly. He, uh, sad. he, he was an older guy. He was, I think he was like 75 now or 70. And, um, he, uh, he was having back surgery right before Thanksgiving. He was having back surgery. And during surgery, he had a heart attack on the table. They, he just never came out of it. Oh, that's sad to hear. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, like, uh, you know, looking back, gosh, I mean, I put myself in your shoes and I think about how I would have been feeling. You're feuding with the tag champions. You're getting a push. You might be thinking, hmm, you know, there might be gold in my future. This happens. You've put in all this hard work. If it were me, I would have been knocking on Todd's door every day being like, what is going on? <laughs> but, you know, that's just me. I probably would have been, uh, I probably would have got myself blackballed by <laughs> yeah, and, and that was the thing too. Like, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do that. Like, I, yeah. like, you know, I'm in, I'm truly in the business now. I'm in the business for a year. I was getting other bookings, you know, in the area, but there was, you know, ECW was the only true consistent one that was running, you know, a couple times a month at that point. Yeah. Um, so uh, I will talk a little bit about uh, Liberty All Star. Uh, a little bit later on. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, the ECWA, uh, East Coast Wrestling Association. Uh, you worked there as Hell Rider. Uh, yeah. You dropped the EZ and just go with the Hell Rider. Um, what was the idea behind dropping the EZ uh, and uh, going with Hell Rider? And, you know, do you have any stories or memories of working at that, at that company? So that was, um, that was, that was an amazing time. Um, that was Jim Kettner, who, ended up creating amazing things with ECWA. Um, most famous thing is the Super 8 tournament. And um, he, uh, he had ended up having a working relationship with WWF, WWE at the time, um, where a lot of the guys um, were getting, a lot of the guys that Jim was using ended up getting tryouts with the Fed and stuff like that. Um, but that was around 90, 93, right? Um, during the ECW stuff, when I ended up leaving ECW, like, a friend of mine was friends with Kettner and introduced me to Kettner. And um, Jim wanted to bring me in as this monster heel to feud with his top baby face, Boogie Woogie Brown. And, um, you know, I was doing the biker gimmick and he didn't want to, he didn't want to bring me in as a tag team. He didn't want to use my partner, which I, I felt very slighted about and very, I felt bad about because um, I didn't feel like I was leaving my partner. Um, but the thing was, too, also, my partner is, I think he might be maybe 12 years older than me. So he was an older guy. Um, it was like all different things, but he, um, Jim just didn't want to use him. And Jim was like, look, I just want to use you, and I don't want to call you easy riders. I want to call you the hell rider. Right. So I, I was like on the fence with it at first. And, and I, um, I, you know, I reached out to my partner and I explained the situation. I said, you know, I, I don't want to do this unless you're okay with it. And he was cool with it. He, he totally was cool. Was, you know, like I said, he was an older guy at the time. He was married. He actually had a great day job and he wasn't planning to leave his day job, you know, making like a boatload of money at any time. And I was 23 at the time and I was ready, willing, and able to go to, Memphis and work for 25 hours, you know, a show like it didn't matter. Um, so he, he gave me his blessing to go do it, and that's that's how it happened. And I ended up working with Jim um, for a couple of years until I became uh, a Dudley, and then I had to, I had to leave. I couldn't be, couldn't do it no more. Right. Um, so I mean, that's that's a pretty cool opportunity to come in and be like working with their top guy. Um, you know, how did you adapt to being put in the position of you know? You were in a tag team and now you're working top of the card. 
it, it was it was definitely weird. The weirder thing is uh, a lot of people, you know, don't know this, but like those early, like Jim Jim Kettner at that point was probably promoting shows for close to thirty years. But like his guys, his whole roster of guys, there was only one other guy on the roster at that point that was truly um, trained in a wrestling school. And that was, he was he used to go by Irish Mickey at that point, but now he's known as Mr. Ula La, who's a huge mainstay here on the East Coast on the Philadelphia wrestling scene. Um, all the guys were trained by Jim and Jim, Jim lived in a little two bedroom apartment and his back bedroom he had like foam uh, padding, like this thick on the floor. The whole floor was lined with padding. And he trained the guys in his back bedroom. But all his matches on every show was completely scripted. Really? So like he used to, it, it, it's, it's weird, but amazing what Jim did. Like he, he, he would have his whole year of shows booked if the physical dates were booked and every match on every show for the year and every storyline was booked and every match was scripted out to tell his story the way he wanted it for that whole year. Oh, wow. That's yeah, a lot of it, work. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's truly amazing what that guy did. So I came in where I was, you know, calling matches and here I would come in now and I didn't even know when I agreed to do this. So then I, you know, Jim was like, all right, so come back this way and we'll go over a match. I'll introduce you to Boogie and we'll go over a match. I'm like, all right. So I come back to his apartment like a week later and he hands me a script. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then I'm reading, it's like, Hellrider whips Boogie into the ropes. Hellrider clotheslines. Yeah, everything was literally scripted out, which was like, it was, it was really a weird thing. Yeah. So now you had to learn this script, which was once you got into the, the, the ring and into the match, it didn't matter for me because if something I screwed up, I could pick up and, and you know, cover up. But those guys you would end up getting in the ring with, they would get lost. And, and it would just, it would turn into a bad situation if they lost their place in the script in the match. Right. So, yeah, it, it was kind of, it was kind of weird. It, but it was also a major learning experience. And Jim Kettner told me so much, you know, about wrestling, about promoting. He, he was, he was a guy who helped me um, promote shows and become a promoter in those early days. Wow. That's really interesting. Um, <laughs> uh, I wanted to bring it to mid 1995. You, uh, you already alluded to before Stevie got you back into ECW. Um, so do you get a call from somebody uh, and were you aware of what the idea was uh, when they were going to bring you back in? So, uh, like I said, I used to watch ECW every week on TV and um, in comes the Dudleys, the original Dudleys, Big Dick Dudley, Dudley Dudley, and Little Snot Dudley. And I said to myself, I'm like, holy shit, I look like these guys. <laughs> I, I mean... I, I looked like a Dudley. I had the long hair, yeah. you know, the beard and wear glasses. I'm like, it was scary. And um, after seeing it on TV for like two weeks, um, you know, I used to still hang out in the scene. I used to hang out at the, the hotel after the shows and stuff. Um, Richards 
called me up and he said, dude, he was like, you're a Dudley. He's like, you look like a fucking Dudley. Yeah. He's like, do you want to come back? I'm like, please, please, yes. Yeah, awesome. Man. He's like, come, come to the, meet us at the hotel after the show this, you know, this Saturday night. Um, and I'll introduce you to Paul. I'm like, okay. So uh, we're in the Philadelphia Marriott hotel lobby and we're standing in the lobby and Paul comes walking in and Richard goes, Paul, come here. And Paul comes over and before he introduces me to Paul, Paul goes, holy shit, another fucking Dudley. <laughs> That's great. And, and, and Richard's is like, this is the guy I was telling you about. And he's like, you have a tie-dye? I'm like, no. He's like, get a tie-dye. I'm like, all right. He's like, what do you want your uh, your gimmick to be? I'm like, Studley Dudley. He's like, no. Chubby Dudley. He's like, bring food, your chubby Dudley, come next week. I'm like, all right. That's how it started. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, that is there's more than, than I could have hoped for for an answer there. That's amazing. Um, so, uh, the group was originally Dudley Dudley, Big Dick Dudley, and Snot Dudley. Um, from my research, yeah, and then, he snot yeah, and then we'll, from an injury, yeah, snot, and then yeah, he was in a by, car accident, right? And he was replaced by Dancers with Dudley, yes. And, and then, me and Dancers started on the same night, right? Oh, okay, cool. Uh, and Sign Guy Dudley, I guess, was around that time as well. He came in, uh few weeks later it, it, it was very close after like they started they had him planted in the crowd that whole happened from a shoot from right. yeah there was a there was a in them early ecw shows you see the guy at ringside holding the sign up and he used to like hold up like stuff and expose stuff right so so the you know paul and everybody was getting pissed at him so it became a true feud like there were, were like we're going to put sign guy out there to bust on this guy. And that's how that whole thing started. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, so uh, tell me a little bit about the experience of the first day. Finally, finally, you're back in ECW where you should have been the whole time. Uh, you know, what's the experience like making your debut uh, along with DW Dudley? So the, our first, uh, our first, my first night in, in there was, you mentioned this guy earlier, um, Scott Steiner. My first night in ECW was the Dullies against the Steiners. And all I kept thinking was, please don't let me pick Frankensteiner. Please don't let me pick Frankensteiner. Like, that's all I was worried about. Um, and I was a huge Steiner mark, you know, in the early 90s. Like, they were my, my favorite. I used to love those guys. I used to love Rick Steiner back, going back to days of Hot Stuff International. Um, so that, that was our first thing. And the... I didn't know what I was going to be doing, you know? So I just became like, it was just like, all right, just go out the ringside. And it was dancing with Dudley and um, Dudley Dudley were the workers and me and Big Dick were on the outside. And that's what it just became. Like they, they always had in their mind, like dancers could work. Dudley Dudley was truly the best worker at the time of the Dudleys. Um, so those guys were the, were the workers and me and Big Dick were just part of the sideshow. And you know, then he came sign guy and he became part of the sideshow. And then um Dudley Dudley, because I think he lived in Florida, you know, it was just it was too much to be flying this guy back and forth from Florida. So that's when they brought in big uh Bubba Bubba Ray. All right. And they phased um I think 
Jeff, Jeff Bradley. Which yep. raised Jeff. Yeah. Jeff was a nice guy and, and a very talented guy. And he, he deserved to be there, but it's just weird how things hurt, you know, work. Like, you know, if little snot didn't get hurt in a car accident, I probably never would have came in. If, you know, if, if Jeff didn't live in Florida, well, the Ramey maybe never came in and changed the whole world of wrestling. You know? Right. Yeah. I was watching the Dudleys. Uh, well, just that portion of the time, uh, of the Dudleys on the documentary. I watched that the other night just to see if I could pick up some extra stuff for the interview. Um, so yeah, but I noticed that, yeah, Bubba comes in and it's just like off to the races there. Um, you know, it, it wasn't even off to the races. Like, again, going back to- It did take uh, a while, right? Like it was- uh, it, it totally took a while because they, they were, you know, Bubba came in and again, I was, I, I was pissed off because I wasn't being allowed to work. I wanted to work. You know, I was just part of a sideshow, which on one hand I was very thankful for. And it, to this day, I'm very thankful and extremely lucky because being part of the, the sideshow, I got to become part of wrestling history. And at that time I got to like, I mean, I was living like a rock star, man. It was complete sex, drugs and rock and roll the bar <laughs> going on with, with, with that group. But it was, um, it was, um, you know, the, the worker in me, the person who wanted to be part of the business was very, um, very bitter and getting angry again because I wasn't being allowed to work. And in King Bubba, who was pretty much fresh out of wrestling school at that point, and you can tell he was green and he was being thrown out there. Like, so now he's the worker and dances are the workers. And, and I got looked completely over. I, I wasn't even given a shot. And I was I was right. like hurt and pissed. Um so that happened and um then Devon came in and they started, you know, first Devon was with us and then they turned Devon heel against us. And you know, he, we were starting to get getting traction with the fans and we were starting to get over and you know, this whole thing with Bub and Devon was starting to grow. And Devon as well. Devon was green as well. So I'm like, here we go again. Like, right. Side. But, but with those guys, it was, I still wasn't pushed to the point. Like I was still very happy and, and glad to be there and, and doing it. Um, it wasn't to the point when, when Spike came in. When, when Spike came in and got put out there the first night in a match, I was like, I think within a month, I was like, yeah, I, I've had enough. Like I've been here for, you know, close to a year and a half. I'm going out there like getting concussions and getting, you know, busted with chairs and put through tables and super bombed and everything else. And what am I getting for? Okay. I'm, mm. uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm enjoying the fruits of the wrestling business afterwards with free booze and, and, and uh, you know, ring rats and everything else. But uh, what, what else am I getting out of it? Like, yeah yeah that must be disheartening man you know you're there and you, you just want a shot you know what was what was the back and forth like did you did you go up to paul and say please can i have a chance to work the match please can i have a chance or i was very um i was very scared and intimidated to, to do that because right. um it, it was getting to the point where i kind of felt like maybe i just don't deserve the chance anymore like you know everybody else was just getting looked over I mean, they put me out there in a couple opening matches on um, just uh, house shows around the area they would do. Um, 
where they need somebody in an opening match. And it was like, they put me out there with somebody in a tag team. And then they'd send Sandman out there to cane everybody. And half would always, he, he pulled me aside. He's like, look, Chubby, I hit that ring. He's like, I'll hit you first. Take one whack, get the fuck out of there. He's like, you don't deserve to be out there. And, and that's what we do, you know? So I, I would just be thrown into like an opening match here or there if they needed somebody and not really being able to do anything or show anything. And, you know, five minutes into it, Sam had come out, cane everybody, and that was it. So he actually said to you, you don't deserve to be out there. You don't deserve yeah. to be in the ring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just not fair, you know. Like everyone deserves yeah. a chance. Um, and like, how did he know that you didn't deserve? It? You hadn't even had the chance to show that you deserved it. It's... Right. Well, you know, it goes back to like you know the whole thing when Eddie Gilbert came in. Eddie Eddie brought in his guys from down south. Well, Paul did the same thing. Paul brought in his crew from New York. You know, he, he brought in Dreamer and Taz, who were um, his right and left hand man, and they were the three of them were helping truly run everything. And they were, you know, Taz was running the school and they were training guys and they knew people from the New York scene. So it was the same thing. And it, like I said, it happens. And I, I get it. I totally understand. Um, yeah, I understand. Um, so uh, as far as stuff that's happening on TV or at house shows, what would you say are your best times that you had as a Dudley? I think the biggest one was definitely um, the, the, the and the most fun was I think it was the it was definitely the night when I think the Dudleys truly gained the respect of the ECW arena and that was um, it was Bubba and Big Dick with Sign Guy and myself against um, Devon and Axel Rod and it was a match that was on TV and. We went out there and we were one of the opening matches. We might have been maybe like second match or third match on the card. And um, we went out there and it's supposed to, you know, go out there, boom, boom, boom. And this is now a true hatred between Bob and Devon. And this is going to be a true fight and a feud. And, you know, go, you can go over to go over to the rails, do a little bit, come back and get back in the ring. And it just, it turned into a true free-for-all where, you know, we split up and I, I teamed up with um, Big Dick and Axel and I was their, their security and their guard going through the crowd and signed guy was with Bubba and Devon and we split up and just went through the arena, all over the arena. And that was the turning of the tide for the Dullies. That was when the fans... Um, realized we were more than just, you know, goofballs or bother with the stuttering. It was like we gained our respect that night. But in turn, it gained their respect. When we went back afterwards, like we walked back through the curtain and we were like high-fiving and hugging each other. We like, we, because we knew, we felt it. We pissed off the locker room. Really? Because we were that second match. It might, it might be first or second match on the card. And we did so much. I, I mean, Bubba climbed up to the top up on the, the ECW, the, the Eagles Nest thing, climbed up to yeah. the top and did a, a cross body splash onto uh, Axel and Devon on top of the stage in front of you know, 1,500 people. <laughs> and it was just like we, we blew the load of the whole show in the opening match. 
and Paul was pissed. Everybody was pissed oh, because man. now, I, I mean, which you're taught that muscle school, you know, you, you gotta only give a little tease and, you know, throughout the show to build your way up. Now we had to raise the elevation of the whole show, you know, so. Uh, well, you know, we sold some of the heat from everybody else. <laughs> Well, I mean, geez, you got to make a name for yourself somehow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, random question here. I know he's in the company around this time, and he's a lot of people say that he's the one that came up with the idea of the Dudley family. But do you have any uh, stories of uh, interactions Raven. with the one and only Raven? <laughs> uh, so, Scotty, um, the very first independent show I promoted. Um, November 94, my main event was Scotty, who was fresh out of WWF as Johnny Polo against um, Tom Brandy, who was known as Johnny Gunn in WCW. That was my main event. So I became friends with Scotty there. And uh, two weeks later, he debuted as Raven on ECW. Um, so I was always cool with Scotty, always friends with Scotty. Scotty, uh, I was even uh, a mark for, for going back to his early days of his career as a uh, Scotty, the body in Pacific West area. And, um, he, he, he's a genius. He's a wrestling genius. That dude, he, a brilliant mind. Um, so much of the whole, you know, Raven dreamer feud, um, the Dudleys, uh, the Raven Sandman feud. I mean, that was, that was Scotty's mind at work. And, um, watching him work, you know, it, it was literally like, you know, as you'd be in the back and talking about stuff and discussing stuff, it was just, you know, um, amazing to see those things pop out of his head. And then, like, when you're in, uh, you'd be in the locker room, they used to have the monitor set up, but we'd all sit and watch the monitor, what was going on on the other side of the curtain. Seeing it come out on the monitor and then seeing it a week or two later on TV, how they, developed it on TV and then seeing, you know, the promos of Raven that he would cut and, you know, Steve Richards, that was his character, Stevie Richards, the blue meaning, another one of his creations. I mean, yeah. and, and, and I mean, me to this day with the BWO and all that stuff, Donnie Allen, part of the BWO, like, <laughs> when he did the kiss gimmick, like all that stuff. I mean, Scotty, Scotty was, and he still, still is, uh, yeah, a genius, wrestling genius. Right. That's yeah, man. He definitely is. Um, I think we'll be interviewing him about mid-year this year. So looking forward to that nice. one. It should be interesting. Nice. Um, so you've alluded to this as well. ECW. It's a big, bit, a bit of a party after the shows at the Holiday Inn <laughs> or things. Like oh, that. It's, it was a party. Uh, can you tell me any sort of stories uh, that you know? that are allowed to be told uh, <laughs> uh any sort of uh great stories of, of of times partying with the boys yeah you know it was like um it, it was such an amazing time like as a matter of fact i'm wearing a shirt this is a, and this is a blue mini shirt you can get this on pro wrestling tea so a little uh you know pro promo for my boy mini um that was the hotel we used to stay at, the Travel Lodge in right. South Philly. Travel Lodge, um, yeah. And it's, it was nicknamed the Cylinder of Sin. Because it was literally <laughs> a circle. Um, it, and it was. It was that, that the fans would come back there to the hotel afterwards. And 
you know, the fans would have rooms, some of the boys would have rooms. And, and it, was, it was just, if those walls could talk, I mean, it was just craziness. Uh, and it was, it was literally, you know, it was literally sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was, there was, there was a lot of stuff going on. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of drugs. Uh, there was, uh, as a matter of fact, what was the band that was big at the time? They had a huge hit. It wasn't Blind Melon. It was another band. I, f- I forget the name. But they were in town. They were playing Philly. And they ended up staying at the Travel Lodge and um, partying with us that night. And then two weeks later, the singer ended up dying of a drug overdose. And it was like, really? oh my God. Yeah, it was like, it was scary. It was like kind of an eye opener. And, you know, then you, then you were seeing some of the boys like were starting to, 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 to pass away. And we're like, this, this is no, no joke now. Like, this is some serious shit. And like we, we would do these shows and, you know, especially after the arena shows, it was, that's when we would film the promos from TV for the next three weeks. Every three weeks was an ECW arena show. And so the boys would come into town on Friday and they'd get, get their rooms and the fans would get their rooms on Friday night and the party would start Friday after the show, party only Friday, Saturday, you're, you're like in zombie land and then you get ready for the show and then the fans are already they're at the arena and they start tailgating two o'clock in the afternoon and it was it was like yeah i mean you got like a thousand people in this parking lot just tailgating drinking and and doing whatever and the boys are out in the parking lot partying and then you go do the show and then you come back and everybody goes back to the hotel and is partying more and then he would film the promos and Paul would just say to us, I don't care what the fuck you guys are doing. I don't care what you're putting your body. I don't care who you're sleeping with or who, who you're screwing. As long as when it's time for you to do your promo, you can do your promo. If you can't do your promo, you're going to get fired. And we would be up until, I mean, I remember many times, like six, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, the next day, Sunday morning, we're still waiting to do promos. And, and you're, crocked your shocking ass and you're like oh and then it came it's like all right dudley's you're like okay <laughs> let's go <laughs> yeah like the one that the one promo i remember uh like when uh bubba and meanie did the thing like with the, with the dance off they were like boom, boom. like they were like miming each other like it was a mirror and they spun around like that was shot like seven o'clock in the morning like and we were drink up all night drinking it was you know classic stuff <laughs> awesome um uh, another random question here bay uh ribs we have a witness to or victim of a of a rib that uh is memorable thank god i was not a victim. <laughs> I, I would hear the horror stories like in wrestling school you hear horror stories of the boys with like shitting in in the to people's wrestling bags or their boots and it was like, I'm not like, you're like, why? Like, why? Like, what the, what, what would make somebody do that? So I was like, oh, um, never, I never witnessed any of that, thank God, or was part of that. Um, the, the funniest rib I think I ever saw that I remember just 
being hysterical, laughing and so out of breath laughing was um, there was a young kid in the Philly wrestling scene who was coming up and he was a kid, he was like 15, 16 years old and um, there was a, a rival promoter across the bridge in Jersey, Dennis Carluzzo who was running the NWA at the time Yeah, and I, I was very good friends with Dennis and um, so I was starting, I was after I had left ECW I was working some shows for Dennis and uh, Dan Severn uh, the UFC guy was the NWA champ at the time and they uh, they ripped this kid and told him they were putting the strap on him. He was going over on Dan Severn, oh. and Severn was pissed. Oh, no. So we were sitting in the locker room and we're telling they're telling Billy like the, the Booker's like, hey, yeah, Billy, you know, you're going to go over. And Billy's like, what? Like we mean? He's like, yeah, you're you're going over. We're going to push you like this this whole kid, this whole champion, and and this and that. But but Dan is not happy. He's pissed. He's really <laughs> pissed off. And all of a sudden, Dan comes busting in the room. He throws the belt on the thing, and he's cursing, and he's kicking chairs over. And you just see Billy's eyes are like, <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like, And then he goes over, and they're like, this this is Billy. This is the kid you're working. And he grabs Billy by the throat and picks him up, throws him against the wall. He was like 100 pounds, this kid. He throws Billy against the wall. He's like, you're the kid that's going over me. You're going to be the new fucking champ. And, and Billy's like, ah, 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 ah. He's like, good luck, kid. He smacks him. He's like, just saw that the kid just melted into a puddle of water. Like, I thought this kid was going to shit and piss himself at the same time. <laughs> That's why he's called the beast. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You don't want to upset that man. That's for sure. Don't don't piss off the beast. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had a few notes here about you know to, I guess the tail end of your time as a Dudley uh, Heat Wave, uh, July thirteen ninety six. Steve on attacks, dances yourself and sign guy Dudley with the chair, delivers a low blow to Bubba. Um, you know what? Before I get to this, I want to ask you about Bubba and what your impressions were of him as a person uh, and and as he came into the group. You know what, Bubba was um like me and Bubba and, and same with Devon. Me and Devon both always uh, got along great. Always loved those guys. Uh, Sign guys, same. Um, Bubba, we uh, we used to have like fun conversations because Bubba was all into you know the the eighty hair metal scene, and Bubba oh. played drums, and and Sign guy played guitar, and I played guitar, and we were talking, we, we were joking, like we were going to form a band. Yeah. And Raven was going to be the singer. And, <laughs> and either me or, or Lou, sign guy, were going to be bass and guitar and Bubba was going to be the drummer. And that was like the ongoing joke. Like we, we were like seriously talking about it, but joking at the same time. But yeah, I always got along great with those guys. I, I haven't talked to him in probably about 15 years or, or more. I've talked to Devon. I ran into Devon a couple of years ago and um, I had him as a guest on my podcast about two years ago. Awesome, man. That's awesome. I'm glad that you get to reconnect with Devon, but I hope you get to reconnect with Bubba again one day. Cause I, I, I find too. that, I find that stuff to be very important, you know, um, you know, just to have just another, you know, if, if it's the last conversation, at least to have that conversation, I think it's important. Yeah. I would love to, I would love to. It's, it's funny. Um, a friend of mine who's a, a tattoo artist, the guy who owns the, the tattoo shop is a huge wrestling fan. And uh, he listened to, listens to Bubba's show. I don't know if he still does it on Sirius XM radio or whatever, Busted Open, I think it's yeah. called. And uh, it was, you know, like three or four years ago. And somebody called in 
did a show around Thanksgiving time. They said, hey, are you inviting Chubby to Thanksgiving dinner? And he was like, ah, that guy died. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> well, um, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that I can yeah, interview his partner, Velvet, at some point. So if I speak to her, I'll pass on that. You know, it would be cool if uh, Bubba reconnected with you at some point. Or I'll do That'd my be best. Cool. Totally <laughs> cool. Thank you. Um, so as I said, um, you know, this angle with Devon takes place. Uh, what leads to you and DW leaving in mid 96? I don't know if his reason was for the same as yours. Maybe it was different. Um, his reasoning was there, there was um, something that happened with him and New Jack. Oh, and there was, there were, there was like heat between him and New Jack. And there was a bad, I, I, I wasn't at that show. Um, it was a show that, like, I used to just do the, the Philadelphia area shows, like Philly, South Jersey, Delaware. When they used to do New York, because of my job, like, if I took, I would, I would lose too much money if I took off. I was, like I said, I delivered pizzas. So if I took off on a Friday or Saturday to go to New York, I would lose, like, $300, and I couldn't afford to do that. So I didn't go to those New York shows at the time. But something happened at one of those shows um, where it was a, there was a fight between the two of them. And it was it was pretty bad, and it ended up leading to DW getting, you know, right. I, I don't know if he ended up leaving on his own or being technically fired or the true reason or answer there, but that that was the beginning of the end of DW, which is a shame because he was a a, a not only a talented uh, worker, um, I thought his character was hysterical and such a true uh, important piece of the W's, and mm. yeah. Definitely, because you know, yeah, you, you had the African American Dave on, and yeah, mm -hmm. everyone was, you know, from a, you know, the, obviously Father Dudley was very busy when he was on the road. Uh, yeah, every, everyone yeah, was a different absolutely. kind of Dudley, and that's what makes it so special. But you know, yeah. having that, uh, you know, Native American a part of it, that's you know, just as important as having you know the other um, right backgrounds, as far as I'm concerned. But um, so you left because you had had enough of not getting a chance to work. Uh, yeah. I just, I just left on my own. I stopped going, just stopped showing up. Right. Um, so whilst all this is going on is, are you still running shows with your company? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's cool. Um, I will still get to that company very soon. Um, but I had a few more questions about the Dudley family and the Dudley boys. What do you think of what became of the Dudley boys? Those guys, like I mentioned earlier, that was two guys who came into the business and were, you know, given a spot before I felt they deserved it. Like I said, they were both pretty green when they became uh, Bubba and Devon. But they're two guys who um, busted their ass like no other and deserved. Um, you, you saw their elevation of talent in and out of the ring, whether it was on the mic or in the ring as workers, you saw the elevation of, of their talent and you see them get that contract with Vince, which was well-deserved. And you see what they did with Vince continue to rise and they, they got the deserve. They, they are truly both Hall of Fame workers and the greatest wrestling tag team of all time. I agree, man. They're, they're definitely one of the greats. And, uh, you know, it, it's proof of the pudding. You know, they went to WWE 
and you could because I've seen their I've recently seen pretty much most of their run um, up until uh, after they had that epic match at WrestleMania with Edge and Christian and the Hardys. Um, mm-hmm. And you could tell in those early months, they're really, they're testing them. They're testing yeah. them to mm-hmm. see if they can fit in. They're testing them to sure. see if they can uh, uh, go get with the program with the WWE style and all that stuff. Uh, and they weathered the storm, you know, fighting with the, the acolytes was certainly something to see. Uh, and then once they weathered that storm, then they're getting this push on TV every week. They proved themselves. So it's uh, you know, proof in the pudding right there. I, I think like, you know, a prime example is like you said, like they were tested early on. You, you saw, uh, you know, a few years earlier, the top ECW tag team, the public enemy. Yeah. They were given the same opportunity and they couldn't weather the storm of that test. And given him his credit, um, Ted Petty, Rocket Rock, he was truly one of the best workers in that Philadelphia area for many years. Um, you know, who used to wrestle as um, the Tiger Kid? I forget. The Cheetah Kid. He used to wrestle as a Cheetah Kid under a mask before he became Rocket Rock. And Johnny Grunge, I mean, he wasn't the best, you know, athlete worker. He was more that brawler style. But together, they made magic as the yeah. public enemy. But they were not suited for that WWE style at all, or or they, they couldn't weather the storm of the test and everything else. And, you know, it showed you saw the difference between the public enemy and the Dudleys, how the Dudleys took it and elevated themselves and the public enemy went the other way. That's it. 100% man. I feel real bad for them, to be honest. Uh, I was yeah, a really big absolutely. fan of theirs as well. Um, actually the first ever wrestling show I ever saw was 2001. And on that show was the public enemy against the road warriors. So, wow. uh, yeah. Look, I mean, those guys, like I said, it was when, when they when those guys hit the ring, it was truly magic. And everybody on both sides of the curtain, even us in the back, we were, you know, na 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 you know, they were just over. You couldn't help but do it. But you know, when they got the invite to the big dance, they just they, they, they couldn't work that same magic on either side of the curtain. You know, they they could get along with people I heard in the back and vice versa. Cool, man. Um, so when I interviewed Lodi, who was in Raven's flock in WCW, I did a thing with him where I went through each member of the flock and I had him talk about each person and give like a positive memory or something nice to say um, about that person. So I thought I'd do that with you with the Dudley family. Um, so starting off straight up, Dudley, Dudley, you know, uh, what did you think of this guy? Uh, I thought he was a very nice guy. Always was was great to me, nice to me. Um, but it was a talent. But it was a, a, a definitely the most talented Dudley early on. Um, and if he lived in the Philadelphia area, the history of the Dudleys might have been very different. Absolutely, uh, Big Dick Dudley. I miss Alex. I miss Alex. Alex was. He, he, he was truly a gentle giant. Um, very, very nice guy. Very intimidating guy. Um, he, uh, he, was, he was our big brother. He, he was big dick. And he, he, he watched out for us and you know, took care of us. And he was a, a 
team player and he, he was a brother. He was a beautiful person. And, and rest in peace, Alex, man. I miss him. Full of grants there. He certainly was a character, that's for sure. Um, Absolutely. I'm happy, happy you're called Big Dick. Exactly. <laughs> this was the first time I ever saw him just because uh, when I first saw the ECW version of the Dullies, it was after I'd seen the actual like the tag team Dudleys in WWE. So when I saw the ECW version, I'm like, who's this guy? Why was he in <laughs> WWE? Look at him. He's uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Um, I know he had left before you had arrived, but it's not Dudley. Yeah, you know, I I never ever met him. Um, I, I I really don't have. You know, I I feel bad for him. You know, because again, if well, he he lived. You know, I think he was from Florida as well, or just out of the area. But um, if it wasn't for you know car accident or whatever happened, we got hurt. You know, that that could have been a game changer for his wrestling career. Absolutely, yeah. Fair enough. I thought that might be a, a difficult answer for you because uh, he was gone before you you came in. Uh, you've already you've you've spoke about dances with Dudley, but do you have any other nice stories to share about him? Um, yeah, another um, Adolfo, another great guy, funny as shit. Um, always had fun time with him. Always, always laughed. He was just such a goof, just a goofy guy. Um, and a talent guy. And he was kind of a big boy. He was very stocky, though, and, and he could work. He could move and he could go. And um, he was somebody, you know, I felt deserved more. I agree, bro. Um, and Sign Guy Dudley. Um, the Secret Weapon. Love Lou to death. Um, he's a guy who um, was a, a, a mark to the business, was helping out backstage ended up becoming given the opportunity to sign guy and he's somebody who i wish would have went off to wwe with those guys because he deserved it in my opinion yeah he ended up working for them you know behind the scenes in the office um but he he's a uh, very smart guy knows the business very very well um i thought he deserved more too but uh he he's somebody who I think his true talent was exposed when they repackaged him as Louis Dangerson. Yeah. When they did that, <laughs> when he went from being the silent to the talker, you saw him, you saw his talent exposed. And I was so happy for him. Yeah. It was unbelievable, man. Really unbelievable. Um, and look, I, I would say Bubba and Devon as well, but you've kind of spoke about them and how proud you are of what they accomplished and all that. Um, but if you only have, have any other side stories about them, please share. Um, I, you know, just, just like, uh, Bubba, especially like, I'd love to reconnect and, and talk to, um, I had that time with uh, Devon. I was able to, you know, sit down with him for a couple hours and talk to him before I got to interview him. And, you know, I, told him my side of what had happened and my feelings and we talked about it. And it was really, really cool and fun. And then we did the interview afterwards and, you know, uh, both those guys, I have nothing but love for those guys and, and thankful because if it wasn't for what they did with the Dudley name, you or anybody else wouldn't give two shits about it. Seriously. Like, and, and I know that like because of what they did with the Dudley name, people are still interested in me. People still contact me, do interviews or signings or whatever. 
And it was all, it's all because of what they did. I, I, all I did was come out to the ringside and eat food and be a jackass. <laughs> They're the guys that, uh, that did the work and the talent. And I mean, I'm forever grateful and thankful and, and a true mark to them too, because I, I love watching their career and their matches grow each, uh, you know, each week on TV. Yeah, absolutely, bro. Um, and last but not certainly not least, uh, little Spike Dudley. You know, he's a, he was a guy, like, he came in and we were nice and cordially told her, uh, I don't really know him too yeah. much. I mean, man, there's a few times early on, but he's a guy too. He, he got that shot and he, in my opinion, he deserved it. He, he, he came in and he busted his ass. He, he worked his ass off and he was over and he could work his ass off. He deserved it well, well, you more than I, I do or did. And I, after seeing that, I, I got it. again, like, you know, I was young at the time, 26 years old or whatever, and, you know, bitter, but, I, you know, you learn as you get older, there's things happen for a reason, and the reason was he was definitely more talented than I was and was more deserving. Yeah. I, uh, I want to say this because I think this would be awesome. I don't know if you've heard of StarCast, where they have, uh, it's like a WrestleCon where they have all the podcasts, uh, people, you know, all meet up for this big convention. Okay, I have heard of it. I have it's usually it. in conjunction with an AEW show or something mm-hmm. like that. But I think what a wonderful idea would this be? Have a panel, talk about the Dudley boys, and you get everyone back together. You get everyone up there to talk about it. Each member <laughs> is just as important, as far as I'm concerned, as Bubba and Devon. Everyone up there uh, to have a little family reunion i think that would be awesome to see that conversation with all those guys at one time now i've been approached by from from doing these podcasts over the last few years i've been approached by a couple different podcasters who have said the same thing and and some other people you know fans in the business have asked me the same thing um i don't understand or know why nobody has got together to do a Dudley family reunion. It, it's beyond me. I, I don't understand. Um, a couple have asked me to try to like piece things together. And I was starting to work on a few different things back when I still lived in Philly a couple years ago, but it just, it couldn't come together <clears throat> with the, the few that I'm still in contact with. But yeah, like somebody for like a star cast or one of these big conventions, you know, whenever this whole pandemic thing does truly end, um, I don't understand why it can't be pulled together. It's ridiculous. And even Devon told me, um, you know, they were talking, you know, with Vince about doing it and people behind the scenes were into the idea. They wanted to bring, the, you know, bring, even bring me in and, and sign guy and, and other dummies into like a storyline. And Vince was like on the fence about it. And from what, you know, Devon said to me, he said, the thing with Vince is Vince loved the idea, but it wasn't Vince's idea. So until annoying. Vince, until Vince can like figure out it's his idea and make it his idea, it doesn't happen. Oh, uh, the idea needed to be pitched to him in a way where he'd be like, Hey, wouldn't it be great if we had a Dudley family reunion, pal? Exactly. 
Exactly. Yeah, man. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So many missed opportunities over the years. I get so mad. <laughs> I only ever watch the old stuff now. I've been so mad at the the WWE for the last 15 years that. Uh, yeah, I, I don't watch. I don't watch wrestling at all anymore. If I watch anything, like I'll pull something up old on TV. Yeah. Or don't bother. It's they, it's not worth it. Uh, it's definitely not worth it. Um, but uh, before I go on to talk to you about uh, Liberty All Star Wrestling. Again, I, I kind of want to put a bow on this ECW chapter uh, of your life. And you've left the company. Um, first and foremost, how do you feel once you've left the company? You might be feeling a little bitter, angry that things didn't go the way that you had hoped. Um, but also, I like to coincide that answer with how you found out or where you were when you found out ECW was now out of business. Um, so at that point in 96, when I left, uh, ECW, I kind of, you know, I, I started like taking independent bookings and, um, I, and I was still working as a Dudley and, uh, a funny story for you. Like I said, I was working at a pizza shop at the time and I was taking, I was working, I ended up working for Dennis Carluzzo, who the NWA is Chubby W. Oh my uh, that didn't go over too good with the ECW boys. Oh, really? So I, I I got a call from Taz at the pizza shop uh, threatening to come kick my ass if I continued doing the double gimmick. And he's he's somebody too. I like I would love to talk to Taz now and just remind him of that story and laugh about it because it's a funny story. Oh, like, of course, yeah. You know, it, it's hysterical and, and like I was trying to explain my feelings and my side to Taz and he didn't give two shits. He didn't want to hear it. You know, it was just like, you know what, the double gimmick, it's not yours. It's our gimmick. You can't do it. No, nah, uh, you know, disagreed. I disagree. Still doing it. He's like, yeah. If I find out you're still doing it, I'm gonna show up to a show. And I'm gonna, is he re- I'm gonna, is he really? <laughs> he's gonna go to that I'm much gonna, effort. Yeah, he's like his words were, "I'm gonna come to a show and stretch your ass." I'm like, oh, fuck off. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> I, whatever. So I stopped. I stopped doing the belly gimmick, and I became the hot shot Bay Raggy. And um, you know, I, I worked a little more, and then I was like, "What the hell am I doing?" Like, I, I was like in the process of almost uh, getting married at the time and stuff like, and I, and I left the wrestling business for a few years. And then I came back in 2000, uh, promoting shows again and getting back involved. Right. I just think that's hilarious, man. Like what's it to them? If you, you, you make a little bit of money using the Dudley name, you were, you were a Dudley. So why can't you use it? Yeah. You know, it's not, hey, yeah, it, was, it was stupid, but yeah, you know, whatever. Like, like, like get Chubby Dudley get getting a few bookings in a company that probably doesn't have television is going to be a real big deal yeah. to ECW. My gosh, it's it just yeah. it's a, wrestling is just like this weird bubble, isn't it? It's just so strange. It, it's, yes, it is. <laughs> and then where so I was promoting shows, you know, uh, very. I was promoting two, three shows a month at that point when ECW was um, when ECW folded, and I was. Um, I was really bummed out. I was, I was really sad, you know, because that was a important piece of my wrestling history and, and my wrestling career. And I had a lot of friends that were there working. So I was really bummed out, you know, that was, their, that was their true job. Like they were on the road three, four days a week. And I felt really bad. You know, they, they lost not only their, their job, but their, their, their wrestling career. And, you know, it's very hard when you're in the wrestling business and you're on TV every week. And then you go to not having that TV. It, it, it's TV in 
in any entertainment medium is so important. It really, it really is. I learned that, um, you know, I, I went from being on TV every week and, you know, walking in the mall people stopped and asked me for autographs and, you know, people stopping me on the street. Like they knew who I was. Yeah. You know, just from TV, you take that TV out of the equation, whether you're in music or movies or anything like that, reality shows, like, you take that out of the equation, like it's really huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what does ECW mean to you? What is what does your time there mean to you? That was it. I mean, that ECW was um, the, the, not only the pinnacle of my career, or so many others' careers, and it was magic. It was it was like I knew when I was there for Extreme Championship Wrestling, like. I was part of wrestling history. I, you know, I would sit there and, and watch those matches, you know, backstage and see the magic every match and, and popping, you know, for every finish and, and, and everything. I knew we, we were changing the world of professional wrestling, not only for the current time, but for the future of, of existence. Absolutely, man. It's a it's a special company. It's got a special place in a lot of people's hearts. That's why still in 2021, 20 years after it went out of business, people are still chanting ECW. Oh, yeah. Tommy's yeah. Wrestling or Stevie's Wrestling or whoever's still out there right now, they still chant those letters because it means something. Yeah, you know, and the, hearing those fans chant that at that, um, you know, they can chant it in any building. Like, even when I would watch you know, WWE here at Fans Chant in, in, you know, 20,000 seat arenas, it's like, okay, but having it happen in the ECW arena at that time, there's not a better feeling. Absolutely, man. Such a great atmosphere. It's, uh, it's been lost over the years. Um, okay, we're finally here. We, we, we're going back in time now because we're at the end of ECW. Now we're going back to the beginning of Liberty All-Star Wrestling. You told me about how the company began and, and, and what, what, what essentially made it be a thing because of those Eastern Championship wrestling guys who were discarded from the roster when Eddie Gilbert came in. Um, you start this company. Where do you start? How do, how do, you, how do you just start a wrestling company? <laughs> um, by delivering a lot of pizzas. <laughs> So the, 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 fir the first thing we did was we had to find a building to run a show. And I, uh, I went to my old elementary school, which was two blocks away from where I was living and talked to them. And I rented out the gymnasium. And uh, obviously you had to get a ring. Did you buy a yeah. ring? No, uh, Jim Kettner from ECWA. That's where uh, right. okay. I rented his ring. And uh, he helped me put the pieces in play to, to start that first show and, promotion all right that's cool man um what would you say is the toughest part about being a, a wrestling promoter uh drawing a crowd um did you ever get to a point where you were trying to get yourself some tv or local television did that ever come about it never got to that point that's what the plan was for sure um yeah i i I had radio, I used to do radio at that time. I was doing AM radio weekly. So we had a radio champion, you know. Um, 
but the, the plan was like I had I, I was trying to do like what ECW did. ECW did the arena show every three weeks, and they would go around each weekend and carry out that storyline that people just saw on TV, and then boom, three weeks later, here's the next page of the storyline, and then boom, 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 go to three more towns, come back to the arena, yeah, boom, next page of the storyline. So I was they're trying to do that. I had set up um, four different buildings, um, like in a 20 mile radius of each other and was trying to set up these four little towns. And I had one, I had one building, which was actually a couple blocks away from the ECW arena. I was running once a month and it, it just got to be a financial nightmare. And I, I lost so much money. I, I just, I lost like $25,000 of my own money. And I, wow. I, had, I had to close up. It was just, it was bleeding me dry. It, it bled me dry. Like it, right. it, it put me in financial ruins at the time. Right. Yeah. Tough stuff, man. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, that's a horror story in itself, but horror stories with shows or fans or wrestlers, do you have any juicy gossip that you can throw out there on our show? <laughs> Ooh. Um... Yeah, there really wasn't any. There was not nothing bad really happened. I mean, I, I had a really good locker room. I, I put together a really good locker room, and, and we were truly like a family. And you know, when I closed up shop, people were really upset. And still to this day, many of those guys who you know I still talk to, they still say to me like, "There was no better locker room." Even um, Bob Artis was became my ring announcer and he did a lot of work for me behind the scenes. And, um, he, 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 Bob and his wife, Lex, they both did a lot of things for me. I had Liberty all started wrestling after ECW had folded. And, um, he used to say to me all the time, he's like the, the locker room of guys you put together and the shows he goes, were on quality with ECW. Right. Such a shame, man. Such a shame. Um, What's the most rewarding thing that you, you got out of Liberty All-Star? Um, it definitely was the, the booking, like booking the shows and, you know, learning from Ketner. Like I would, I would get the storylines and plot out how I was going to do, you know, the, the matches for the storyline, you know, for show, for show, for show, where it was going to go. And um, watching it unfold, and, and seeing it and hearing the crowd pop and it was making me pop as well. It was like, yeah, this is working. This is working. Right. That's cool, man. Um, I, I find this to be an interesting thing. You, you close the company, you decide I'm done with wrestling. Uh, how do you cope with no longer being able to have that adrenaline rush of going out there and performing or, even the even the That's rush of working behind the scenes and seeing the the beauty of I had this idea for this show and then watching it take place in front of you and seeing it be fulfilled is so rewarding. That goes away. How do you cope with that? Dude, I'll tell you right now. That's probably one of the best questions anybody's ever asked me. Um, it's tough. It's it it's very very tough and you understand and see why a lot of these guys in any form of entertainment, whether it's wrestling or music or TV or whatever, 
when you go from having those experiences to having it taken away, you can see why they turn to, they become depressed individuals or they turn into drugs and alcohol or whatever vice it may be. It's, um, it's, it's very, it's, it's tough. It's hard. It's, you know, you go from your ego being fed and you're, you're going from, you know, like I said, you know, signing autographs and, um, being on TV each week and, uh, you're, you're given the, the fruits of, you know, sex, drugs and, and, and alcohol, um, you're whatever you want to not even get a candy bar. You know what I mean? Like mm. it, it, it's, it's, it's eye opening. You, you learn a lot about life. You learn a lot about people and you learn a lot about yourself. And, um, it's one of the things where the strong will survive and it's tough. You know I mean? Yeah. It's a, it's a roller coaster of life. So it's, it's really tough. I can imagine. I, uh, I don't, I don't like to go on about myself too much, but I, I, I ran a, a group for five years, uh, and it went away in 2017 because it was just time to just stop doing it. Um, but I, I, I miss waking up the morning of a show and knowing that memories are about to be created for a lot of people. We're about to create memories that people are going to look back on when they're having a beer with their friends. And they'll remember when that right. happened. Remember when he did that crazy shit? That was that's probably the most rewarding thing for me is like knowing that, the, that a memory was created because the platform was put there and people were put in the arena to or in in the vicinity to watch the match or watch the matches um so when that goes away for me uh and you know i was in a rock and roll band too that's gone away i've got to keep finding a way to continue to be creative uh because when you have no longer have that uh creative output that's inside you you got to find a way to 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 in some way, that's why we do this podcast now, because I need yeah. to find a creative way. What did you do to find a creative way uh, to get that I did this out of you? same exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ended up, uh, I started a podcast eight years ago called Totally Driven Radio. And um, the, the one thing I always wanted to do was radio. Um, and started doing podcasting and started doing interviews like this and did like probably six to 700 interviews, maybe even more um, celebrity-based interviews, whether it was mostly music, TV, movies, wrestling, whoever. Um, I did that. And then uh, about a year and a half ago, I started going through a divorce. So I kind of slowed down on that. And I really created here in Nashville and um, with my fiance now and restarted my show last year. But I actually just um, put out there yesterday um, you know, we, we used to do a live podcast every Thursday night and it was, it was audio, it was radio. And, you know, with the technology of now, you're able to do video and do these video interviews. And I switched over to that this past year in, in 2020. Um, but moving forward, uh, as of now, this week, it's now going to be called, going to be called the Bay Ragney Show. And it's just, uh, these interviews that should be doing my interviews and stuff like that. And I also, uh, I'm working on something with my fiance, who's a, uh, she's also an entertainment person. She's a former singer songwriter. She's a former stand-up comedian. Um, we do like some comedy video skits and we have a, an eBay resale business. So we're, and we're doing a, we do food reviews. So we're going to be 
splicing all this stuff together, making like these little uh, fun uh, YouTube shows and stuff like that coming up. But yeah, so I mean, you can look for me either way. It's either Totally Driven Entertainment on Facebook and Instagram uh, or Coco Bay Winning. Uh, she's Coco Warbucks on Bay Ragnarok. So uh, look for Coco Bay Winning on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, wherever. Yeah. Stay tuned for all uh, the, the hijinks, fun, and food that's going to be at. Excellent. Excellent. And everyone that's uh, watching the podcast right now, if you go down there in the description, if you go down there, we'll have all the links, all the links to what Bay just said. Check it all out, guys. Um, so I wanted to ask you, when was your last match? Last time I was in a ring was probably 10 to 12 years ago. It was a, um, it was a battle royal. And what it was, was uh, one of the old Tri-State Wrestling Alliance guys, uh, Michael Bruno, he restarted the TWA. And he did a battle royal with all the old original TWA guys. Oh, really? That's really cool. Yeah. So it was totally coming full circle, and it was it was so much fun. And, uh, That's perfect. It's, it's actually on YouTube. It is on YouTube. That actually, I think I had I found the one that recorded it. As a matter of fact, but it's on YouTube, and it's a it's a fun little close out to the career. Oh, that's cool, man. I, I dig that. Um, yeah, things coming full circle is the perfect way to go out. Um, before I get to my final run of questions, in my research, I saw uh, the 19th of September, 1998, Liberty All-Star Wrestling, the Misfits defeat the Hell Riders, Easy Rider and HD Rider. Was that the last time you two tagged together? Actually, that was, uh, it wasn't me. That was JR Rider. My oh, really? Yeah, it was, I used to, I had a wrestling school and one of the guys that we, uh, that I trained was a, was a biker and uh, it was when I came to Dudley I said well here's a deal do you want to take my place at the Hellrider so it was JR Rider and HD oh, okay I just wanted to see if there was a little reunion there or if you nah, uh, you got nah. to have a, a final tag match after being with him in the original ECW and, and that guy Pat Kelly beautiful guy love that guy and, and how is your old tag team partner going these days that's him, Pat Kelly. He's a he's a good dude. Good dude. I haven't seen him in. Well, I ran into him one night in, in Philly. I went to go see a band play, and he was there. Like, and he was like, I, he goes, I don't know who's playing. He goes, I just wanted to get out of the house, and get a beer. He goes, and here I am. <laughs> cool man. Uh, so, one of the last subjects that I wanted to talk to you about is rock and roll. I got I got five more minutes, so just did. That's cool, man. Uh, rock and roll. Where did your love come from? It Poison, Rat, Cinderella, Guns N' Roses. Uh, I'm a boy of the 70s. I grew up in the 70s. So uh, it was Kiss. Kiss was the one that changed my life. Kiss and ACDC. Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, so before I get to five second frenzy, do you have any regrets? Ooh. Honestly, no. no. No regrets because every everything uh, i feel like everything you do in life whether it's good or bad mistake or whatever it's all um what makes you you and you learn from it well, hopefully you learn from it you don't learn from it you're an idiot but yeah <laughs> no no regrets 
That's great, bro. Good to hear. Um, so, Bay Ragney, it's five second frenzy. It's our last segment of the show. Quick fire questions, quick fire answers. You have five seconds to answer each question. Even if you don't make the five seconds, it's okay. You won't get in okay. trouble. Uh, so, <laughs> five second frenzy. First question your favorite wrestler of all time? Ric Flair. Your favorite opponent that you ever had? Uh, uh, Frank Hoodie. Excellent. Uh, your favorite match that you ever had? Um, did quite a few hardcore matches with Frank Hoodie, but probably the one I put him through a flaming table. Amazing. That's amazing. Uh, your favorite book? Ooh. Um, ooh. Probably an autobiography. I'm going to say one that jumps out at me as of late, that I did a few years ago, was Joe Perry from Aerosmith. Oh, cool, man. Very cool. I read Stevens and I had to keep rereading every sentence because he was just, didn't make any sense. Uh, your favorite TV show? Oh, um, right now, American Pickers. Excellent, excellent. Great show, man. Great show. Uh, your favorite film? Slapshot. Excellent. Uh, here's the big one. Favorite musical artist? Yes. Excellent, bro. Uh, favorite food? It's probably um, pizza or buffalo wings. Excellent. Uh, four to go. Your favorite place to eat on the road? Oh, you know what? Back in Philadelphia area, that my favorite place to eat was the Kitchen Consigliere Italian restaurant. Uh, still searching for a place in Nashville. Cool, man. Uh, your favorite alcoholic beverage? All of them. Brilliant. Me too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> second last one, Bay. Your favorite female body part? Ooh. Uh, I, I was a boob guy early on, but I've become an ass man over the years. Excellent, bro. Excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm the same. Uh, and the last one on Five Second Frenzy, Bay Ragney, is your favorite curse word. Fuck. We get that answer a lot. Uh, <laughs> Bay Ragney, Chubby Dudley, I want to thank you for your time today. Thank you, dude. This, this has been fun, and you lived up. You said this is going to be my favorite one, and you lived up to it. You did. Yes, you it I off. did it again, bro. I did. I it get again. scared. I get scared <laughs> because I've done a lot. I'm just like, this is very bad but yeah you're up there you did it thanks bro i really appreciate it and i and i just really want to thank you for your time and i want to say to you you should be so proud of what you accomplished in the wrestling business you uh you helped create memories with liberty all-star yeah yeah a memorable from being a member of the dudley family you're a part of eastern championship wrestling there's just so much importance to what you did and from the most isolated city in the world perth western australia you got someone right here that appreciates you and what you did bro thank you man back dude back at you i'm very appreciative of you and and the fans but uh you know when people like yourself uh reach out to me to do these i just i have so much fun especially when they're great ones like this so thank you for doing the research thank you for pulling it off and that uh, yeah, thank you. I, I look forward to being uh, friends with you. We have a lot of comments. Let's, uh, let's talk. Sounds good, bro. Thank you again. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you, everyone out there, for watching this interview here with Bay Ragney on the WCWA Network podcast. I'm your host, California Fury, and we will see you 
next time. Thank you.